Once more, good morning to all of you. Welcome to you. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. All of you in Cafe Worship, good morning to you. We love you so much. Welcome. Hope it's a good morning for you back there. Uh, Perry, Oklahoma, Brian Egerin, we love you, brother, so much. Any of you joining us by audio or video podcast, you honor us by being a part of this worship service. So God bless you. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. Hang on to your wigs and keys. The pastor's going to talk about money today. Take a deep breath, everybody. It's going to be okay. We, we will all make it through this. Uh, it's funny how difficult it, it is for some people to talk about money. Uh, but the reason I do so is a very, very simple reason. Jesus talked a lot about money. Now, you can't say that I do, although some of you would say, I can't believe he's talking about money again. I haven't talked about money in probably a year uh, so uh, if you're that sensitive, it's, it's really has nothing to do with me and my preaching, probably something more to do with your own heart, because one of the most important things you need to realize is that, is that money issues are heart issues. I'm not going to be able to control this, Chris. You'll probably have to put, put that slide up for me. Money issues are heart issues. It's difficult for us because we just tend to think that money is just simply paper or, or coins. We take money for granted in, in that sense. It really is a part of our lives, and for some of us, it's the focus of, of our lives. But honestly, money is, is more than simply paper. It, it, it is a spiritual force. When Jesus talks about money, he talks about it in terms of how you can't worship both God and money, which simply... Uh, stresses the fact that Jesus saw the potential for money in many of our lives to become a kind of rival God. Do you see that? And so money is not something that we can simply take for granted or not watch as it operates in our lives. The way you handle money is probably actually a very, very good indicator of your spiritual health, uh, to be honest, which is what makes it even more serious that we don't talk about money very much. Even in church, there's a tremendous pressure on pastors not to talk about money. People resent when the preacher talks about money. It's probably because there have been preachers who preach about money only because they were interested in filling up the offering plates. Y'all got to know that's not me by now. You know that's not my motivation ever. Uh, the reason I would preach about money is simply for the very important reason that it is an issue of discipleship. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we talk about money because it is a matter of discipleship, personal discipleship for me and for you. But we don't talk about it. Husbands and wives often don't talk about money. I get couples in my office all the time, and it's obvious that they don't really talk about these things. There's a lot of secrecy, sometimes even in a marriage around money. Parents don't talk to their kids about money. Kids learn a lot of lessons about money from their parents, but not because the parents try to teach lessons intentionally. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about it in a personal, deep way anyway. Maybe it's just a southern thing, but in the south, we don't talk about what we earn. We don't talk about what we save. We don't talk about what we give. So as a result, there's this secrecy, this privacy, this silence that surrounds our money in our lives. And I insist that that silence only increases the, the negative power of money in our lives. So the importance of preaching, speaking, talking about money, I think, is, is really hard to to, to overestimate. Jesus, as I said, talked a lot about money. So maybe we should pay attention to what Jesus says so that we can understand how we're supposed to relate to this important spiritual force. So Matthew chapter 25 is where we will be. This is in a 
a, a familiar story. It's an amazing story. Perhaps it'll help us answer the question of how God wants us to relate to money. Uh, start with me. It's one of Jesus' parables. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. What's the key word there? His. Yeah, it's his money. Even though he gives it into their hands, it continues to be his money. So he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five talents of silver to one, two talents of silver to another, and one talent of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five talents of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two talents also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one talent dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Whose money is it? It's the master's money. He hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used whose money? His money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five talents came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five talents of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. What he literally says there is, come enter into my joy. Come share my joy. It's beautiful. The servant who had received the two bags, the two talents, came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Come, enter into my joy, share my joy. Then the servant with the one talent came and said, Master, I knew that you are a, what's he say? Harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant. What? I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten talents. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, that didn't end very well. Yeah, that's tough. 
Let's go back. Jesus is telling a story. He, he wants people to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. Isn't that interesting? So in, in Jesus' mind, money, the way we handle money, is so much a part of everything else that, that Jesus is actually using this illustration about money to illustrate what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the kingdom of heaven apparently is like what happens when a gazillion air goes on a long trip. And I mean that. Jesus is telling a parable, so it's a story. So understand, uh, he's, he's using language and using images in such a way to prove a point. And one of the things we have to recognize is, is, is the picture Jesus paints here. Now, what confuses us is, is the way this word is used in the scripture, this word talent. Now, in Bible times, in Jesus' day, when Jesus said this man was, was dividing his money among his servants and he gave somebody five talents and someone two talents and someone else one talent. Talent in Jesus' day was not about being able to sing or tap dance or play the musical saw. Understand? Talent was a measurement of weight. It's the only thing that word was meant to signify. It was a measurement of weight. And it was, I believe in Jesus' day, it was the, uh, the largest measurement of weight. So, so understand that. This is a, a very, very heavy, very, very large number. So when the scripture says that he divided this, his money up and he gave somebody five talents, understand one talent, one talent was equal to about 15 to 20 years wages. Okay, this is an extraordinary amount, of, uh, extraordinary amount of money. So the guy who just receives one talent, he is given like 20 years wages. It, it, it would be a fortune. So, so the point is, Jesus is using ginormous numbers in this parable in such a way to make the numbers almost irrelevant. Even the one who receives just a little, he receives a lot. You with me? As a matter of fact, this word talent here, again, it confuses us because we think of talent as, as, as some sort of ability, something that might get you on TV and make you famous, being able to sing or, or, or something like that. But, but honestly, that word talent didn't come into the English language in, in that sense except by this parable. When people read this parable, that they began to think, wow, talent, that, that there are things God gives us that, that are beyond money, and sometimes we bury those things. And, and so the word talent came to be used for uh, all these abilities that we think of when it comes to someone with, with some sort of special gift. But understand, it comes from this parable, and honestly, at first, it, it was just a measurement of weight, but the measurements are enormous. So here we go. There's a gazillionaire, a man so wealthy, and he's going on a trip, and he decides to divide up some of his money in the hands of a few of his servants. To one guy, the first servant, he gives five talents. Again, it is an enormous, enormous sum. To the second person, he gives two talents. And to the other guy, he gives one talent. I remind you, one talent is a tremendous amount. Even the one who has little has a lot. If this is the way the kingdom of heaven works, though, I guess our first question, being, being the way we are, some of us immediately ask, why isn't it kept even? If this is how the kingdom of heaven operates, then somehow that master must, must be similar to God, and we must be like the servants. And so the first question some of us ask, because we're all about fairness, 
is why is it they don't receive the same amounts? Why does somebody get five, and why does somebody get two, and why does somebody else get one? That's not fair. Is this a story about fairness? Go back. What exactly does it say? Verse 15. The master gave talents to one, two bags to another, one talent to the last, dividing it how? In proportion to their abilities. In other words, the master knows his servants. He knows his servants. He knows what they're capable of. He knows what they have done in the past. He has a pretty good idea of what they may do in the future. You understand, he knows the servants. And he gives five talents to one man because he knows that that man is dependable. And that man proves himself dependable. You see that? He comes back with five more. Somebody else gets two because the master knows what that person can handle. He knows his past performance. He knows his personality. He knows his temperament. He knows what he can be trusted with. He gives the second man two talents. It's still an extraordinary sum of money. He brings back two more. He gives one guy one talent. Turns out to be a good choice, wouldn't you say? It still offends us. We like things even. It's our culture today. But back when I was a kid, don't laugh, I played baseball like on a team. Yeah, they let anybody on teams in those days. They, they kind of did, but it was still different. Uh, I played farm league. I played a little bit of little league. Uh, I, I was awful. I was horrible. And honestly, I was cool with that. If I cared very much, I would have worked hard and learned to play. I just never did. I threw like a girl. I was cool with that. You know, I'm cool. I don't, I don't care. I didn't care then. I didn't practice at home or just other things I wanted to do. I kind of like ball games. I like going and, and joining the team, sitting on the bench. I was cool with that. I was real close to the Gatorade, understand? I, I was fine. I was fine. Thing is, though, I didn't play a lot because back in the day, listen to Grandpa here, back in the day, um, that was the philosophy. That's how coaches operated. The, the kids who could play, played more. The, the kids who could knock the home runs and the kids who could catch the fly balls, I mean, they played more. And I understood that. I expected that. I did not expect to take that star pitcher out of the game and put me in. That would have been the dumbest thing ever. Understand? Our coach thought like that. And honestly, my parents thought the same way. My parents never complained that I didn't get more playing time. Nobody wanted to see me have more playing time. <laughs> Understand? Me included. I was cool. I'm telling you. I, I was cool. I had more playing time than I ever wanted. But, but this is what I'm saying. Today it's different. Today it's different. If you put a kid in sports, everybody gets the same amount of time, don't they? Everybody gets equal playing time. Okay, that's just dumb. But it is our philosophy now. Everybody plays the same, and at the end of the season, everybody gets a trophy. I have no baseball trophies. That only should demonstrate to you that the system used to work. Never earned a trophy. They don't give trophies for sitting on the bench drinking Gatorade. You see? Life doesn't work the way T-ball works these days. Life doesn't work that way. It's not all guaranteed to be equal and fair. It's not necessarily fair. Do you not understand that? And it's not necessarily the case that in life or in the kingdom of heaven, everybody gets the same trophy. 
That's not how it works. And Jesus says, this is how the kingdom of heaven works. There is a master who owns everything, and he distributes what belongs to him among those who can take care of what belongs to him. We call them servants or stewards. And we don't all get the same responsibilities. We don't all get the same gifts. We don't all get to handle and manage the same amounts because God makes decisions based on our abilities. He knows us. He knows us very well. He knows what we're capable of. He knows what we've done in the past. He pays attention to our level of faithfulness. And if you notice in this story, faithfulness leads to faithfulness. If you're faithful in something small, then God will gradually allow you to manage something greater. But you have to prove yourself faithful in what you have. You have to make the most of what God gives you. Now, our problem is that we almost incessantly compare ourselves to other people. We cannot take our eyes off of what other people have. And we're constantly wondering why it is that we don't have what other people have. You may be that two-talent servant or that one-talent person, and it just flies up your nose that the master gave somebody five talents. Understand this very simple point. It is not your job. It is not your job to worry about what you don't have. It is your responsibility to make the most of what you do have. I didn't think you'd like that. I still think it's true. It is not your job to worry about what you don't have. Other people have more. Other people have more money. Other people have more opportunities. I can't explain that. Other people have more resources. They may have more natural abilities, more talents, as we use the word. But it's really not your job to worry about what you don't have. It's not your job to compare yourself to other people. Understand, you're not the master. You're the servant. The master makes all those decisions, and you don't really even have a say in it. Understand, you're just a servant. But your responsibility is to make the most of what you do have. Some of us spend so much time thinking about what we don't have that we never even acknowledge what God has put in our hands. And your responsibility is always, always to make the most of what God has given you. What you have in your hands right now. Because apparently, according to the story, you got sort of two options. You can put it to work or you can bury it. You can put it to work or you can neglect it. It's a great story. After a long time, the master returns from his trip. He calls him to give an account of how they used his money. The servant to whom he'd entrusted five talents came forward with five more. Some of you don't even know how that would happen. But this is a guy who knew how to get that done. He said, Master, you gave me five talents, and I have earned five more. Master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in this small amount, and now I'm going to give you the chance to be faithful in a, in a big amount. Come and enter into my joy. Isn't that happy? Isn't that wonderful? Same thing happens with the two-talent guy. He says, Master, you gave me two talents I took it out, I put it to work, and I'm bringing you back two more. So he brings back four, and all, he doubled what the master had. The master's delighted. He praises him. says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in that small amount I've given you. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity to be faithful in so much more. Come and enter into my joy. And then here comes 
Servant number three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, you know, uh, well, uh, master, I, I, I've always known you to be a harsh man. You, you rough. I, I know you, and I know how you love your money. And I know how you're the kind of guy that you go, you'll reap where you didn't even sow. And you'll come and you'll harvest where you didn't even have crops. What's he saying? What's he saying? You're harsh. You're stingy. You'll come and you'll take what doesn't even belong to you. That's what he's saying, isn't it? You harvest where you didn't even plant crops. You you reap where you didn't even sow. You'll take what doesn't even belong to you. I know you. You're harsh. You're greedy. I'm scared. Scared of you. I just took what you gave me and I buried it in a hole. And now I'm bringing it right back to you. Here it is. And what does the master say? You wicked, lazy servant. Okay, what you need to know is in Jesus' day, burying money in a hole was completely acceptable. Understand, there are no banks really to speak of, and there really aren't any safe deposit boxes. And so if honestly, back in that day, I was holding money for you, I probably would bury it. And and, and that was so acceptable, and it was so recognized as the thing to do, that legally, if I were holding money for you and I buried it in the ground, if something happened to that money, if it disappeared or, or if it was stolen, I would not be considered responsible. Are you with me? Because burying money in the ground was considered to be the safest, most reliable way to handle money. So when Jesus tells this story, he gets to number three, and actually when he gets to number three, he describes what most anybody in the world would have done. They would have buried it in a hole. What else are you going to do? You put 75 pounds of silver in your pants pocket and walk around? But it's interesting, what the rest of the world would have just considered the way to live your life, Jesus calls wicked and lazy. Do do, do you see that? What are you supposed to do with what God gives you? That becomes the real question here. What are you supposed to do? What is it that makes the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant, what is it that makes them so deserving of praise? Well done, good and Faithful servant, what is it that they have done that the third servant did not do? Basically, they have done with the master's money exactly what the master would have wanted done with his money. You understand? Because the point is, it's always the master's money. What God gives always belongs to God, even though you and I get to hold it for a while. But the fact that we hold it, we must never, ever forget whose it is and where it all comes from. And that means the way we manage it must always uh, go straight back to the God who still owns it. And we have to make sure that we use what God gives us in a way that God would want it used. Now, obviously, God delights in providing for us and taking care of us. God loves us as his very own children, and God is going to provide for me and my family and you and your family everything that we need. You can trust God to care for us. But the 
issue with very, very many of us in this house and in the sound of my voice is just simply God provides more for us than we need just for basic needs. God provides more. Me and my family, we have more than we need just for food and clothing and shelter. I mentioned the fact that the lady who prepares my lunch at, at, at a Subway, a lady who provides my lunch probably two or three days a week, she is homeless with her daughter. See, I can hardly even fathom that, that, that a person could work every day and still not have enough to provide for, for, for her daughter. Do you understand? The world is sort of like that. Those of us who seem to have more than we actually need and those who don't have what they need. Why is it that way? Well, the Bible says very, very simply that the reason God gives some of us more is so that we have something to share with those in need. So there's not a lot of mystery here. The reason God has given so many of us so much is not that we can just simply live higher and better and better so that we can just build bigger houses, so that we can repaint and remodel, so we can have a new wardrobe every season. Do you not understand? That's not the purpose here. The reason God puts money, puts resources into our hands is so that we can do his work, his way. Do you understand? It still all belongs to him. And I think there's something very, very wrong about the way you and I assume that it's always about us, that it's always God's giving us more and more, and we don't even think twice about spending more and more and more on ourselves, on our families. The point is, the servants, they put God's money to work, doing God's work. So in the end, the master can say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have done exactly with the money that I entrusted with you. You've handled it exactly as I would have wanted you to handle it. That's being a good and faithful servant. If this is how the kingdom of heaven operates and understand, you and I will give an account. It's an accounting term, you understand? We will give an account of everything that God gives us. We're going to answer for it, and you and I are going to have a really, really hard time explaining why we drove nice cars and lived in giant houses and, and, and ate $20 meals just all the time. We have a really hard time explaining that in the face of homeless people in Warren County and so many people who do without while we have so much. Do, do you understand? They are praised because they do exactly with what the master gives them. They do exactly what the master would have wanted them to do. I don't know if you and I can say that. God help us. I don't know if we can say that. Because my hunch is what God gives us, he wants us to make sure that we're using that to do his work. There's a whole lot of God's work that goes unfunded while we live pretty nice lives. There's something wrong here. Now, let's break this down just a little bit more. What determines, what is it that makes these first two servants so good and faithful, and what is it that makes this third servant so different? It goes back to what he says. Notice what he says, verse 24, when he comes back to give his account. He says to the master, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid. Okay, he tells you right there why he has done what he has done. And, and, and the very, very simple thing here is that the way he handles money 
is related to the way he sees the master. And, and that same thing is true of you. The way you handle money says an awful lot about the way you see God. Do you understand? And, and you've got to learn to see this. The way you handle money is connected to the way you see God. Notice it's, it's, it's a very different scene. When the five-talent servant and the two-talent servants come to give an account, it's a joyful scene. They come back joyfully. They're telling the master what they've done. They, they give a glowing report. The master praises them. There's laughter. There's joy. And then he says, let's celebrate. Come and enter into my joy. There's a party going on right here. Do you understand? It's a celebration to last throughout the year. I'm sorry, that's a song. There's so much joy here, the master's joy. And it's amazing with five-talent guy, two-talent guy, come and enter into my joy. He praises them, it's happy. But then we get to this third servant, and there is no happiness whatsoever. He ain't happy, and it turns out the master won't be happy. I knew you were harsh. I knew that you tend to come and take what doesn't belong to you. I knew to be afraid of you. Really? Because it seems to me he doesn't know the master at all. I don't think he knows the master at all. If the way you relate to money says a lot about the way you relate to God, then, then let's stop and think about this. What words would you use to describe your relation to money? For some of you, it would have to be worry. Number one would be worry. Whether you have a lot of money or whether you don't have a lot of money, you worry about it. You focus on it. You're obsessed with it. You have a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear around money, worry. Well, if the way you relate to money says a lot about the way you relate to God, then what does that worry say about the way you relate to the God who provides for you? Probably means that in your mind, God is a God who may not come through. God is a God who cannot be fully trusted to provide. You understand? The way you relate to money says a lot about the way you relate to God. So if you are constantly anxious and worried about money, focused on money, it probably says something about the way you don't see God as a trustworthy, a fully reliable provider. Y'all live out there today? Some of us relate to money just in terms of, of envy and jealousy. You don't miss anything, do you? You, you pay attention. You notice if, if the lady in your pew has a new purse and it's just already eaten you up. She got a new purse. That's a brand new purse. That purse costs more than my family eats in groceries in a week. Just tearing you up, isn't it? Yeah, it just tears you up. Somebody comes in in a new car, it flies right up your nose. You can't stand that. You watch what other people have, you see what they buy, and you, you just cannot get over it. Envy, jealousy, it, 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 it feeds your whole life. You're one of those people at work that pays attention to what everybody else makes, the raise everybody else got, and you measure that against your raise, and it just eats you up. You cannot get past what other people have that you don't have, and it, and it makes you jealous. It makes you envious. The way you relate to money says a lot about the way you relate to God. If you continually feel like God's not taking care of you, that God is better to others than God is to you, then what does that say about the way you see God? As a God who just randomly blesses people who don't deserve it, is this really the way you think of God? 
a God who is like Santa Claus, passing out presents, but somehow he continues to pass you by. The way you relate to your money says everything about the way you relate to God. Some of you are just so stingy, just so stingy. Again, I think we've established that most anybody in this room, most anybody in this church has a little more than they actually need. You don't have all you want, but you got more than you actually need, which means you really could be giving. And I don't mean just about filling up the offering plate at church. I mean just giving to people who cross your path. I mean, the Bible says the reason God gives more to some is that they have some to share with the poor. And honestly, some of you haven't shared anything with any poor people in a long, long time. Brother Tim, I don't think I know any poor people. I don't, if, if I see a poor person, I will be there. Yeah, no. Open your eyes. You don't want to see poor people. The reason you don't ever find anybody to share with is honestly, you don't think anybody deserves it more than you deserve it. You don't share because you're stingy. Not because there's nobody in need in your life, but because you're stingy. You don't know how to turn loose of it. And I'm telling you, the way you relate to your money says a lot about the way you relate to God. My hunch is if you're stingy, you think God is stingy too. That's why you don't turn loose of it, because you're not all that sure God will give you any more of it. You just assume everybody's as stingy as you are. And honestly, that's not true. You're crazy. You're crazy stingy. God is not stingy. God is generous, and God is gracious. And if you don't know that about God, then you just don't know God. God gives and gives and gives. And if he's given you $20 today and you pass a lady who needs $20, you can freely and joyfully give her your $20 because you know where the $20 came from in the first place. And if God can give you $20 today, he'll give you $20 tomorrow. That lady needs it now. You understand? That's how it works. You just give joyfully and you give cheerfully because you know that God gives joyfully and cheerfully. That, that stinginess, that miserliness, that, that inability of you to turn it loose says something very, very dangerous about your spiritual life. Some of you pinch a penny so tight you could squeeze a booger out of Abraham Lincoln's nose. And, and I'm telling you, that's not normal. That's not healthy. That's not godly. Generosity is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Understand? Some of us is just so ungrateful. We're coming up on the Thanksgiving season on the Sunday I'm preaching this sermon. And honestly, some of us are just not grateful. We're not grateful because we take it all for granted. We just assume that what we have is what we have because we work for it and we earned it and we deserve it. Therefore, you don't, you don't understand. Everything we have, it belongs to the master. And we just get to hold it for a little while. And we're given an account for how we managed it, how we put it to work. You understand? But, but you and I, we forget that it's God's. We forget that it all belongs to God. We just start thinking that it's ours. Ours to do with it what we want to do with it. Ours to buy what we want to buy. Ours to hold on to, to cling to it, to depend on it. And, and I'm telling you, you can't be truly grateful for anything that you take for granted. You can't be truly grateful for anything that you think you're entitled to, anything that you think you deserve. If you have this incredible ingratitude, then you honestly don't really understand how God owns everything. The way you relate to money says a lot about the way you relate to God. So the, uh, 
Master came back from his journey. He called his servants in to give an account. Five talent guy comes in, excited, joyful. He says, Master, you gave me five talents. I, I put it to work. I managed it just like I thought you would have, and, and I doubled it. I'm, I'm bringing you back ten talents. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Way to go. That's how you do it right there. And because you've been faithful in that small amount I gave you, and I'll remind you, it was, wasn't a small amount at all, but because you've managed that amount, then, then I'm going to give you the chance to be faithful over so much more. Faithfulness leads to more faithfulness, you see. Small things lead to greater things. So enter into my joy. Enter into my happiness. Two-talent guy comes in and says, Master, you gave me two talents. I, I, I tried to do what I thought you would do, and, and, and I put it to work, and, and I've doubled it. I'm bringing back two more. I'm bringing back four talents. You gave me two, I'm bringing back four. Master says, well done. Way to go, good and faithful servant. That's exactly what I would have done. That's exactly what I wanted you to do. You've doubled it. You've been faithful in that small amount I gave you. Now I want to give you the chance to be faithful over so much more. Faithfulness leads to faithfulness. Small things lead to greater things. Come and enter into my happiness. Enter into my joy. Let's celebrate. Bachelor number three comes dragging in. I know you're harsh. I know you're stingy. I know you're greedy. I know how you are. I know how you take what doesn't belong to you. So I was afraid. I buried it. Now I'm bringing it right back to you just like you gave it to me. Isn't that amazing? I think there's several things. First off, like I said, he thinks he knows that the master is harsh. He doesn't seem to know that the master is happy. And I really, really think this, that, that God seems harsh whenever you begin to think that God is after what's yours. God seems harsh and God seems greedy when you're thinking that he wants to take away what, what belongs to you. And this is what you're missing here. It doesn't belong to you. None of it belongs to you. Your name may be on the title, but it is not yours. You understand? You will die, and everything that you own will be left to somebody else. You don't take any of it with you. None of it is yours. It's God's in the first place. So when the preacher talks about money or when the topic turns to money or when you start thinking about your life before God as it relates to your money, if you start to see God as harsh and greedy, a God who wants to take away what belongs to you, I'm telling you, it's because you're thinking he's after what's yours and you're just forgetting that you don't have anything. You were born naked, remember? And you will die broke. It's all God. It's impossible for God to come and take what's not his because it's all his. I knew you were harsh. I, I know you're greedy. You're a rough man. And so I, I buried it. I, I, I put it in a hole. He doesn't seem to know the master at all. The master wants to celebrate. The master is full of joy. And for the other two servants, for those who are good and faithful, managing the, the, the master's resources in the way the master would want you to manage, understand, that's a joyful thing. It's, it's a cheerful thing. You remember what the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians? It says what? God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a person who gives cheerfully, the New Living Translation says. Young Robert Marshall once said, God loves a chicken liver, but that was wrong. God loves a, a, a cheerful giver. It's a cheerful thing. It's a joyful thing to give and give and, and give. You just simply got to realize that 
God is a cheerful giver. God is the ultimate cheerful giver. It delights him to give to us and to provide for us. God is a cheerful giver. He is not stingy. He is not greedy. He does not take what does not belong to him. God is a cheerful giver. So get this final thought, final thought. When you see everything that you have as a cheerful gift from God, everything you have is a cheerful gift from God, then giving it back becomes a cheerful way of life. Everything you have is a cheerful gift from God. When you understand that, giving it back to him becomes a cheerful way of life. Some of you are not happy. You have more money than your grandparents ever would have dreamed of. You have everything you need and money to buy more of it. You're not happy. Come to church, your offering plate goes by, it just makes you mad. You feel like somebody wants your money. Preacher always wanting money. No, no. Nobody wants your money. Do you understand this? And what you don't seem to know is that you don't really have any money. What you have is what God has entrusted to you, and it's still his. You're responsible to do with it what he would have you do with it. That's not a miserable, horrible, awful thing. It's a cheerful thing if you really understand who God is and how cheerfully he gives to us. God loves a cheerful giver. Because God is the most cheerful giver of all. When you learn to know him that way, giving for you becomes a cheerful way of life. Pray with me. God, psalmist says that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and God, you own the hills too. It's all yours. It's all yours. God, we sometimes... Uh, take a lot of pride in what we have, what we've earned, what we can buy, but God, we don't have anything that didn't come from you, Lord. Even the breath in our lungs is borrowed from you. We, we have nothing. So God, break our pride, and God, teach us to give generously and to give cheerfully. God, forgive us for, for sometimes not trusting you to provide for us. Forgive us, Lord, for being so very self-centered in the resources you put in our hands. God, we wonder sometimes why we don't have more. We wonder why you don't trust us with more. But God, we're not trustworthy with what we have. Help us, Lord, to make the most of everything you give to us, Lord. Forgive us for burying it and not putting it all to work for you. God, I pray today for the poor in our community, the poor among us, Lord. I pray, I pray that as long as Woodburn Baptist Church is here and as long as we are in the world, Lord, I pray that there will not be a needy person among us because we share, because we give, because we recognize that it all belongs to you. Lord Jesus, some of us can't turn loose of our money because we've not yet turned loose of our lives, Lord. We know that it's not our checkbook, our credit card that you want, Lord. It is our heart. 
So Lord, I pray today that men and women, boys and girls in this house will surrender fully to you, hearts first, and everything else comes next. God, you are maker and master of us all. Help us to be your good and faithful servants. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.